0: morning. Morning. Y'all doing good? All right. It's good to hear. Well, grab your Bible this morning. You can open it. We're going to get ready. We're going to look at quite a few verses this morning, so you can just have it ready and sitting there waiting for you. And uh, that will be great. We're in a series of messages right now called What, Why, and How. And we are asking big God questions. And today we're gonna look at one of the biggest God questions that many of us have had or are having or have heard others have, and that is, why is there evil in the world? And what is God doing about it? And these questions are very important for us as we move forward in our faith or try to discover who God is. I want you to know this Cheney Faith Center is a safe place where you can ask questions and you can discover what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. And if you don't right now, it's okay. We're, we're ready to walk through the process with you. So today we wanna try to tackle a big question. Now, let me begin with a couple disclaimers. First of all, I'm gonna speak for roughly 30 minutes about this topic this morning. That's not near enough time to tackle every question, every answer, every situation, every thought that we need to put into this subject of evil in our world. But hopefully I'll give you some foundation and some direction to go. And that will help you because this is pretty complex. Second, uh, I'm not an expert on this. So that is something you need to know right off the bat. Now I do know God's word and God's word is an expert on almost everything. Uh, And so that helps us a lot. And what we'll discover actually is God's word is probably the best place to go to get this answer. So we're gonna look at that. And then the last disclaimer I wanna make is more of a cultural disclaimer. And that is, sometimes when we talk about evil in the world, uh, we have a different mindset in the United States than somebody else might have who lives somewhere else. Let me explain. We live in what is arguably the wealthiest nation and the greatest place to live, amen? Amen. This is it. That gives us a certain framework, a, a thinking process, how we start arguments and ask questions and relate to the world. We relate to the world from this bubble, okay? So when we talk about evil in the world, if we talked to somebody else in another culture that maybe has experienced a much more evil place to live for them, they would look at evil in the world from a completely different perspective than we might. So we're going to try to figure that out along the way too, because it's, it's helpful to know where you're coming from. Now, All it takes is one brief evening on the evening news or to live on this planet for not too long to figure out that there is evil here, that there's evil in the world. Now, that statement alone is loaded. Just to say the statement or make a statement, there's evil in the world, that's a loaded statement because it spurns tons of questions. Questions like, how do you know something is evil? Who decides what is evil? How should we act towards evil? Does God see evil? Is he gonna do anything about evil? Is there something or someone behind all this evil? How do we treat people that are evil to us? What should we do as mankind to stop evil? We ask other questions like, why do good people have bad things happen to them? Right, That's a tough one. Well, the answer is because there's evil in the world. Just like there are good things that happen to bad people. I hate that one more. Like I hate that the drug dealer is the guy living in the biggest house and has the best car. That's just not right. Sometimes an evolutionist or an atheist will say there is no God. And if that's true, then who decides what is evil at all? So we have lots of questions. In fact, we could probably spend the next 30 minutes just asking questions and never get anywhere. But I'm gonna attempt to just talk about some things related to evil this morning. Now, as we begin, there are some very complex things about evil. I mean, it's the whole notion of the idea is complex. But let me put a little bit of feet to it as we or a definition to it as we start. First of all, there's kind of the metaphysical side of evil, which is what's the source of evil? Where does the source of evil come from? How did it get here? What's it doing here? Is anything gonna make it end? All of those things. That's the metaphysical side of evil. We'll talk about that because the Bible has a definite answer for that. Then the second thing is really where most of our questions lie and that's the moral side, the moral questions and answers about why evil is in our world. And that one is much more complex and has tons of stuff working all throughout that question as we talk about the moral side of evil, okay? As we begin, I'd like to show you a statement that is made by atheists or by cynics that is their answer to evil in the world. It goes like this. There is evil in the world. If there was a God, he would do something about it. Nothing has been done about evil. Therefore, there is no God. That's a statement that a cynic or an atheist would make about evil. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that statement about evil or is that statement about God? That statement's about God. We didn't answer any of our questions about evil in that statement but we, they like to think they're answering statements about evil, but it's not. That statement is actually, I don't like God because he doesn't do what I want, when I want, how I want. That's what that statement is, okay? And it didn't really answer any of the questions that we mentioned above. But it helps us with a framework as we also try to, to make a framework of some biblical statements about evil as well. This statement is a little bit illogical in its its base thinking. For instance, let me plug this logic into a couple scenarios. Let me start with the first one. Um, I I was thinking about this one for some of you that are Seahawks fans and just thinking about you today. So let's, let's plug this scenario into it. One, my team keeps losing. Two, If there was a coach, he would do something about it. (laughs) Nothing's been done about us losing. Therefore, my team must not have a coach. That doesn't compute. Here's another one. How about this one? We live in a college town, so this is possible. There's a car in my front lawn. (laughs) It's possible. I think after a good Greek party, anything can happen. There's a car in my front lawn. If there was a driver, they would have done something about it. Nothing has been done about it, therefore a driver must not exist. You see, there's some illogic in the statement and we wanna bring some logic to it as we look at what God says about evil. Now, I wanna remind you, we are going to address the issue of evil from the truth that we find in God's word. That's where we find our basis for this argument. It's where we find the good questions and the good answers for why there is evil in the world. So we will be discussing it from a biblical perspective, from the perspective that God does exist and that he does want you and I to live in his goodness and his love and his grace. Okay. That's the perspective. And that's the framework that we are launching from. Now evil is very complex. And so let's begin by looking at two biblical viewpoints about why there is evil in the world. I wanna show you these two viewpoints because um, traditionally and theologically in the church over the centuries, the church has had a challenge with making these two ideas work together. But I think they do. In fact, you can find the theological arguments for both sides. But over the centuries, we've found division and we've even created new denominations because we couldn't agree on these two central frameworks of theological viewpoints. I wanna show you this morning that these two viewpoints go absolutely together and they help us answer the issue about why there is evil in the world, okay? First of all, let's look at the first biblical viewpoint. This is it. Number one, everything will start from this perspective that there is evil in the world because there is. We're we're recognizing that there's a car on the lawn, right? There's evil in the world, the car's on the lawn. So here's biblical viewpoint number one. There is evil in the world. Two, if there is evil, there must be good. If there is good and evil, there must be a moral law to judge good and evil. If there is a moral law, there must be a law giver. And for the theist, that law giver is God. This is the biblical framework that we start from. It's the first biblical framework. Now this viewpoint focuses on the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign, that he gets to do what he wants. And that also God gave us a sovereign moral law, moral code in the Bible that he will hold us accountable to each of us one day. Now here's the second biblical viewpoint. Number one, there is a God or there is evil in the world. Sorry, there's evil in the world. Second, there's also the reality of freedom to choose. And where there is freedom to choose, evil will always be a possibility. Three, concepts of love and goodness are unexplainable unless there is freedom to choose. Four, God created freedom and placed it in mankind so that they could fully love. And five, Without freedom, love and evil do not exist. So here's this second framework, which finds its focus and its value from the fact that God has a choice and we have a choice. Now, here's what's interesting why do we have a choice? Because we're created in the image of God. We have choice because we're created in the image of God. All the animals, no choice. They, work, they live purely on instinct because they are a created being with a body, no soul, but they're not created in the image of God. In the image of God, we get choice. Now, let me show you that right in the very beginning, these two biblical viewpoints are working in tandem together in Genesis chapter two. So if you have your Bible, you can open it to Genesis chapter two or you can go there on your phone. In Genesis chapter two, these two biblical viewpoints are working perfectly together. Like a train on a track, each rail holding the train on the track. Take one of the rails away, train falls off the track. Take one of these biblical viewpoints away from your theology, I think uh, the concepts fall fall off the track. You have to have both of them working together to live in a healthy life in Christ. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but... You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now here's both biblical viewpoints working in tandem together. You are free, but I have one rule. Don't eat from that tree. Now, can I ask you a question? How would you like to live life with only one rule? Wouldn't that be awesome? now, why don't we live with one rule today? Here's why. When there is evil in the world, we treat one another in evil ways. And because we haven't taken care of that evil inside of us, we do evil to one another. And the more evil we do to one another, the more laws we have to make to stop us from doing evil to one another. That's why we have lots of laws. Now, God says these two things are working in tandem together, your freedom and my moral code, God's word. They're working together to help you live a healthy, Christ-like life today, even in the, the world that we live in today. Now, there are pros and cons to free will. The pro is you and I get to choose to live in God's goodness in his love, in his grace, in his mercy, in his peace. That's, that's a pro. We get to live the way God calls us to. The con is we can also live in any evil way we want to. That's the pro and con to freedom. Now the pro and con to God's moral code is that God will hold us accountable to his moral code. Now that's a pro. You probably say, how's that a pro that God's gonna hold me accountable? Well, there are certain people in our world that need to be held accountable, amen? We want them to stop doing evil, okay? And so God will hold all of us accountable to that. Now that could also be a con if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, because you will be held accountable for that as well and have to live in eternity without him. Now outside the garden, evil has become a new reality. And it didn't take long before Adam and Eve figured it out really fast as one of their sons killed another one. I mean, very quickly, we see evil in the world. And outside the garden, we recognize that we are free, but we also, in our freedom, have the ability to extinguish evil or make it grow. Let me make a statement about that in an easier way. Our free will empowers God's will or Satan's will. That's gonna go up on the screen in a minute. Our free will empowers God's will or Satan's will. See what we choose to do in our life will either empower God to be greater or the enemy to be greater. That's reality for each of us. That's why there is evil and suffering and why it's seen in so many forms today because with our free will, we can choose to live outside of God's moral law or we can live our own way and end up where we're at today. Now, let me ask a couple questions in regards to our free will. Is it God's fault if we, freely choose to live outside of his moral law? No, because he's given us the choice. He's letting us have that choice, which brings up a second question. Is it God's responsibility to act during every evil event when we have told him, we don't want you around? Let me give you an illustration of this. After 9-11, Mrs. Graham, Billy Graham's wife, was interviewed on TV. And the question that was proposed to her was this. Why didn't God protect us from this evil thing? Where was God in 9-11? That was the question that was posed to her. And this was her answer. Do you mean the God that we've kicked out of our schools, the God that you don't want us to pray to anymore, the God whose 10 commandments you want taken down everywhere in our country, the God that we've kicked out of our lives and out of our country, do you mean this God? Good answer. See, we can't expect God (laughs) to rescue us from evil when we've told him to get out of our life. We can't have our cake and eat it too. That's why there is sometimes evil in our cultural world because we've no longer wanted to live in the blessing and under the covering of God's word and of his goodness. Because we've said we want to go our own way. Even though you can do a study and it is overwhelmingly clear that our founding fathers wanted us to live under the guidance of this book, okay? Now, because we have evil in the world and because we have the freedom to choose, that also means we have the freedom to love. The freedom to do evil means we also have the freedom to love because without freedom... We don't have real love. We don't have real relationship. This is why God created us with free will because love requires free will. See, limiting someone's free will or not allowing them to have free will is not love at all. This is why God gives us freedom even though he knows that we could also use the freedom to do whatever we want good or evil. God knows that. But he also knows that he cannot create us without freedom. If he creates us without freedom, he would never have real relationship. If he forced us or created us in a way that we could only do good or we had to love him, then that's not real relationship. So he had to create us with freedom. Freedom. So God lets us go. Now he would cease to be loving if he didn't allow freedom. Someone once said, having the freedom to love when you may choose not to love is to give love legitimate meaning. Now, inevitably, someone will ask at some point, okay, I understand that there's evil in the world. Tell me what God has done about it. What has God done about evil? Well, let me give you five things. Number one, he warned us about it. When we just read it, before any evil actually takes place, God said what? Hey, there's a hot stove over there. Don't touch it. that's gonna be problems. Don't go there. So the first thing God did was he warned us. Now, second, in the Old Testament, he gave us laws. The 10 commandments are God's way of helping us avoid evil. So God gave us laws to live in his goodness and his graciousness and to learn how to live as a society in the goodness of God. That's the Old Testament law. Now, we won't go into this long, but we figured out a way to even abuse that (laughs) and make it our own selfish way of living. And so Jesus had to come and fix that as well. But third, what did God do about evil? Well, Jesus left heaven and came to earth and died on a cross to conquer evil for us. Fourth, what did God do? He put his Holy Spirit in us. And when you and I live in the spirit, we have the ability to conquer evil even today in our own lives and in those that we have influence over today. The Holy Spirit is that powerful in you and that powerful in our world that you and I can actually battle evil through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the fifth thing that hasn't been done yet, but will be done one day, God will end evil. There will be a day where God will just say, that's enough, I'm done, no more evil and we'll head into eternity. So those are some things that God has done. He's warned us. He's given us a moral code about it. He's died on the cross for it. He's given us the Holy Spirit, and he will end it. Now, there is a question that most of us end up asking in response to evil being in the world, and that follow-up question is, why is there suffering in the world? Why is there so much suffering? Why have I gone through suffering? Why have I had a really bad day or a really bad time in my life? Why have evil things been done to me? And why is there so much suffering in the world? Well, I think there's two reasons. The first one is that because Satan is real and Satan is a temporary warlord and he hates you and he hates all of mankind. And his job description is to cause suffering in our lives so that we never have a good relationship with God. That's what he wants to do. Now, the Bible says it like this. In 1 John 5, 19, it says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. 1 Peter 5, 8. Keep a cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Now, let me stop right here because I think this verse requires a little bit of biblical clarification. I don't want you to hear in this verse that God is saying that you can't take a nap. I wanna make this overwhelmingly clear because naps are very godly. They're good for your soul. They're good for your mind. They're good for your physical body. They help you study better. Naps are proven to be one of the best things in the world Uh, In fact, I still wish that we could bring back naps for adults. Remember when you were in preschool and you got to take a nap when you were in preschool? Like, why don't we get scheduled nap time at work? Uh, Amen, right? Let's let's start something here. What if we could start a a workplace where you get paid nap time? PNT, paid nap time. You could accrue it every pay period. I don't know. We could figure this out. Paid nap time. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. Now let me point something out here. The word suffering is in this verse, but it doesn't say that God will rescue rescue you from it immediately. Did you notice that? In fact, That's true everywhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that when you are suffering, God will rescue you immediately. Doesn't say that anywhere. In fact, most of the biblical characters that we really like, that we really enjoy, went through a ton of suffering. They were never rescued from their suffering. In fact, they found that in the middle of their suffering is where they went the deepest with God and where God revealed to them how he wanted to use them for the rest of their life in suffering. I mean, think about Joseph for a minute. Like he's one of our greatest Old Testament heroes. And he spent the good portion of his adolescent years in his early 20s, mid-20s to late 20s in jail. Suffering. Now later, he was the second most powerful man in the world. Did it work out? Worked out pretty good. His suffering worked out pretty good. And we have all kinds of heroes like that. Moses went through suffering, and Daniel had suffering, and Esther had suffering, and Deborah had suffering. I mean, all these people in the Bible, they all had suffering. By the way, you sit in this chair today, saved, eternally secure because of what? Suffering. The suffering of Jesus Christ on a cross. So let me ask you, does suffering have good things connected to it? Absolutely. Absolutely. The last thing Jesus said in John 10.10 was the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now these verses clearly communicate something very interesting. That Satan has sort of a pseudo power in our world. Not total power, not complete power. There's other verses that say he's the prince of this world. Not the king of this world, the prince of this world. Jesus is the king of the world. Satan is the prince of the world. That's why whenever you resist the devil, he must flee from you because he must listen to the king as well. He is subject to the king. Satan is like a kidnapper. He is surrounded by the police So he knows that his end is near, but he will still hold a gun to your head as long as he possibly can to bring you suffering and torment. That's a good description of Satan today and why he perpetrates evil everywhere in mankind. Satan is behind the evil that we see and is always trying to get us to do evil as well to one another. And so we personally are living in it. Satan loves to cause suffering in humanity because we are created in the image of God. Because we are loved by God. And Satan hates the fact that we are loved by God and we're created in his image. So he causes suffering to make life hard. We're going to pray for you because we know life's hard right now. (laughs) So the first reason that they're suffering in the world is because Satan is in the world. The second reason they're suffering in the world is because we choose, individually we choose, to live with the evil resident in us. Now the second reality is this one. As men and women, because of our free will, we can choose to do evil to one another. If we look back in history, that's what we see people treating one another with evil thoughts, evil motives, and the same thing's happening today. There's evil in the world and it can get labeled a hundred different ways. A philosophical view, a religious view, uh, whatever view you want to put on it, whatever label you want to put on it, the label doesn't matter. If it's evil, it's evil. It doesn't matter whether you're doing it in God's name or your own name. It's wrong. We shouldn't be doing it, but we do because we can, because we have freedom. And therefore, as a result of that freedom, until all of us choose to say yes to Jesus Christ in relationship and obey his word completely and fully, there will be you and I doing evil to one another, mankind doing evil to one another. Why do we go to war? Who knows? Because I want your property. That's a horrible reason to go to war because you told my sister that she was ugly. Oh, well, what are we doing? You shouldn't have told the guy his sister was ugly and we're not gonna go to war over it, but we do. Why? Because there's evil in here. So we do it to one another. So there's suffering in the world because Satan's in the world and because we choose evil. Now let me close with this. It's the most important part of evil. It's the most important aspect of regarding evil. And that is Jesus has won. Here's what you and I need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Jesus has won the victory over death, the devil, and evil. Even though there is sin and sickness and death and disease in our world, it does not have power over us. As a child of the king, it does not have authority in your life. It does not have purpose in your life. It does not have ability to be in your life unless we want it there. See, it's our choice to live in Jesus' victory or not. That's the freedom part. But Jesus has all the victory. Let me show you Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Colossians two, thirteen. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, here's what we know. You and I can have complete authority in Jesus Christ because only Jesus can destroy the evil in us. Only the evil, and once the evil is destroyed, We are free to live in God's moral code and freely choose to love one another instead of doing evil to one another. say, well, Pastor Mark, if Jesus is in control, what's going on? I don't get it. Let me explain it. Our world has not experienced its final victory yet. Therefore, the world is still full of death and sickness, sin and disease. Our world is subjected to Christ, but not submitted to Christ. See, this is God's moral code and what's been done on the cross and our freedom. Now what's been done on the cross that has made our world submitted or subjected to Christ does not mean that we are submitted to it because we still, each of us, have our free will. Now in that free will, can you, you, can you submit to the authority of Jesus Christ and have all of the blessings of that in your life? Absolutely. Yes, you can. All of it can be yours. Jesus said, I came what? To give you life and give it life to the full, not life to the empty, life to the full, not life to the halfway. Not life to three quarters of the way. Not life to 99.9%. Life to the full. Now, when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and live for him, we win. But we have to be submitted to that. Even though Jesus is the authority, we have to submit to that. It's like speeding or drinking underage, right? Are we subject to that law? Yeah, But do we always submit to it? No. When I'm in a hurry, do I submit? And there's a police officer in the room, don't listen. Do I submit to the speeding laws? Not all the time. Bad pastor, bad pastor. Sometimes I tell people, I don't think my right foot is gonna make it to heaven. (laughs) I'm getting better though, I'm trying, right? It's just... I like going fast. That's what it is. <laughs> Why well, lie about it? I like going fast. Anybody else like going fast? I slow down when it's icy, though. I do want you to know that. It is. Here's what we discover. Death is defeated in us, in Christ. Evil is defeated in us, in Christ. And the longer we live in Christ and the closer we grow in relationship with Christ, the more we are in intimate relationship with Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, evil gets driven out of us. We obey God's word more, more passionately with more fire because we see how important it is. And we understand what evil is doing in this world. See, when we understand that Jesus is one, something changes in us. When we understand that Jesus is one, it helps us recognize evil and respond to evil in a whole new way. First of all, we we, we see evil differently when we come to know Christ. When we're living in relationship with Jesus Christ, we recognize evil around us in different ways. We see people and we see what they do, but we recognize that it's the evil inside of them, behind them, that's causing them not to live in their true God-given identity. That's what's happening. And we can recognize that. We become like, like Luke Skywalker talking to Darth Vader. And we say things like, I know there's still good in you. The devil has not driven it fully from you. I feel the conflict within you. These are the things Luke said to Darth Vader, why? Cuz he knew his true identity. He knew his true identity was as a good person, but that evil had taken him over and now he was living this whole new life that wasn't him at all. And can I tell you folks, when you and I choose evil, that's not who we are. We need to live in the goodness of God and in the victory of Christ and people out in the world that we know, that co-workers and family members and friends, we need to help them see their true identity as well. We also understand that Jesus is one, and when we do, we can respond to evil differently. You know, Jesus said a bunch of stuff about responding to evil differently, and I don't know if you'll like this or not, but here's some of the things that Jesus said that you and I can do when we recognize evil, and because we have him inside of us, we can respond to evil differently. Here are some things that Jesus said we can do. Turn the other cheek. I don't wanna do that. A person was mean to me. That means I get to be mean back to them. Well, that's not what we do, is it? That's not what I've done. When somebody's mean to me, I don't not mean to them back. I'm doubly mean to them back, right? Are you like me? Like... <laughs> Like if my daughter squirts me with a squirt gun, I don't squirt her back with a squirt gun. I dump a 55 gallon drum of water on her. Like that's, that's my thought process. If you do something to me, I'm gonna double it on you, right? And that's what we do. If you shoot us, we'll drop an atomic bomb on you. Like that's what? But that's what evil does in our head, isn't it? If you lie about me, I'm gonna gossip to everybody on campus about you. All 13,000 students are going to know what you did to me in that one class. What? That's what we think. That's what we do. It's crazy. But that's what evil does. But Jesus says, when you know me and you're in a relationship with me, you can respond to evil differently. You can turn the other cheek. In fact, you can serve that person in love, even though they hate you. Jesus said, pick up that soldier's pack, that soldier that wants to kill you, pick up his pack and carry it a mile for him. Serve him. Even though he hates you and wants the worst for you and would kill you if he could, serve him out of love. Jesus said, you can forgive. You can have radical forgiveness in your life when you're in a relationship with me. Forgiveness, that goes way beyond. When somebody does the most horrible thing to you in the world, you can have the ability to forgive them and set them free and set yourself free. That's different. You can pray for your enemy and those that persecute you. And lastly, hopefully it doesn't come to this, but some have given the ultimate sacrifice. They have given their life for someone that hated them. Do you know anyone that's done that for you? (laughs) His name is Jesus. And he calls us to do radically good things, unconditional loving things on this planet in his name so that people could see him. So can I encourage you this morning, be someone that lives in the victory of Christ. Freely choose with the free will you have been given to live a victorious life in Jesus and shine for him in a lost and hurting world.